is Pull Yourself Together with E. Shaver Booksellers. Hello, I'm Jessica, a lifelong lover of books, wide-ranging reader, fan of obscure British literature, all things Douglas Adams, long sentences, music biographies, the Oxford comma, always up for travel, except during COVID, and of course, Jane Austen. And I'm Melissa, an eclectic bibliophile and all-around nerd who also loves Jane Austen, comics, and cooking. Together, we run an independent bookstore in Savannah, Georgia. Each episode, we discuss the books we've been reading and recommend. Hello, everybody. Hope you all are doing well. Um, We're back with another exciting week of book recommendations for you. And we actually are doing it in a timely manner, as we said we were. Yes, very exciting. We are trying. Hi, this is Jessica. (laughs) We are trying to keep our New Year's resolution of uh, being uh, a little more uh, predictable. (laughs) A little more professional, if you will. Our podcasting habits. Yes. But this week, we're joined by one of our favorite bookseller guests, our dear Annie. <laughs> yes, Annie is our events and operations manager at E. Shaver Books. And, and if you listen, you've heard her before. She's been here before. Yes, <laughs> I just keep coming back. <laughs> like a bad habit. <laughs> oh, would we say that? Yeah, yeah we would. Yeah, okay. <laughs> well, um... Annie, since you're the guest, mm, I am. you get to go first. <laughs> All right, let's see. Where, where to begin? Where to begin? I'm going to talk into the mic. <laughs> um, so the one I read longest ago, but recently, uh, is Whereabouts by Jhumpa Lahiri. It comes out in May of 2021. Um, this was a lovely novel. It's kind of a meditation on loneliness, and it's very sad and divine because <laughs> you know I love books where people die I, I do and know actually, no one dies in this one and yet I still really enjoyed it well you're growing I am, yeah. I am. <laughs> growing to appreciate new things so what in particular drew you to this book um I have read a couple of essays by John Lahiri and enjoyed them but had never really read a work of hers and so when I was in the back room and saw this arc I was like okay I'm gonna go for it going to jump in with both feet to the world of Lahiri. And also, she has a very soulful picture on the back. Doesn't that draw you in? Well, so we talked about this when you pulled the book out and we're like, oh, I'm going to read this. Um, So for a while, she had said that she wasn't going to write anything new, that she had found Mm -hmm. her passion in translating things. So she was just going to translate things from Italian into English, and that's what she was going to do instead of writing her own works. But I think it's interesting when she wrote this one, she wrote it in Italian and then translated it from Italian (laughs) into English. (laughs) She she has a passion. Yeah, she does. For the Italian language. (laughs) Yeah. Um, and you can kind of see it, that it was translated back, because there are some interesting ways that she approached the syntax in this book, but it is just beautifully put together, and it's in short little vignettes, almost, is the way she goes about telling the story of this woman who lives in this city and is alone and kind of has her apartment, and it is, her life is very neat and tidy, and she has this friend who is married and she kind of has a thing with her husband but it's an unspoken thing and she just kind of leans into the idea of longing in life 
and that there can be a richness there even if you never quite reach fulfillment. Okay. And it's just a very lovely... I came away from it with this is such a book, such a meditation rather than an eventful plot line. Okay. Very much so a curl up on a rainy afternoon kind of book. I, I love a book where things... Don't happen. Don't happen so much. <laughs> yeah, you love books where people die, and Jessica loves books where nothing happens. <laughs> well, things happen, but they're they're subtle things. Mm-hmm. Subtle, meditative, soulful things. Sure. Yes. Well, Jessica, do you wanna do you wanna sure. fire away? So I'm gonna go with something completely different. Hey. Uh, Jane Smiley's <laughs> meditation on horses. Mm. Um, so we Melissa and I recently um, did an interview with Jane Smiley at the Savannah Book Festival. Yes, we got through our giant week of events. Yes. <laughs> Just barely. Just barely. <laughs> um, so we had both read Perestroika in Paris, and I wanted to read a little bit more. Um, and this is a autobiography, but it's really about her life at the races. And it's called A Year at the Races. And this is when she was breeding and racing horses. And these are stories from that time in her life. She, um, if you don't know anything about Jane Smiley, she is a fascinating woman. Yes. Her, um, interests are widespread and varied <laughs> from, uh, the origins of English, um, Norse culture, uh, horses, horses. all things, horses, yeah. dogs. Um, she is absolutely fascinating and lovely. Yes. Um, but this one, uh, a year at the races reflections on horses, humans, love, money, and luck by Jane Smiley, is just that. It really is um, all about her her love affair with horses. And um, if you are into riding or you know someone who is, this is definitely the book for them. If you are not interested in horses at all, <laughs> I'm going to say this is not the book for you. Well, so, so like Perestroika in Paris, even if you're not like a horse nut, you'll still enjoy kind of the quirkiness of the story. Like I... I Compare it to a grown-up Charlotte's Web without the preachy spider, um, but um, that's true. The guide of my childhood. Yes, that the oracle that is Charlotte. Yes, um, but so you don't have to necessarily have a huge fondness for horses to enjoy that book because the story is just kind of enchanting and and quirky on its own. The horse is there and an integral part of it, but right. it's not all about the horse. This is all about the horse. <laughs> this is all about the horse, racing horses, and the racetrack. Mm-hmm. And so, um, it, you know, it's a world... I, I have spent a lot of time around horses, um, not as much thoroughbreds. I, I went for more easy keepers. Um, <laughs> not quite so neurotic horses. <laughs> I, I like a good quarter horse, really. But, um, but this is the world of the thoroughbred and the world of the racing thoroughbred. And it's an interesting and fascinating book. Um, and there's lots of funny bits and stories and anecdotes about the race track and the horses and the trainers. Um, but if you're, if you're interested in horses in any way, um, or behind the scenes at the races. It's definitely the book for you. And her writing style is just so approachable. Um, she, um, I think anybody could pick it up and potentially find a love for horses in there, but it really is written for a horsey audience, I would say. <laughs> horsey audience. A horsey, you know who you are. <laughs> yes, you know who you are, my people. <laughs> All right, and that's all I'm going to say about that. All right. Well, again, I'm going to go to something completely different. Um, 
So I read a collection of short stories called Are You Enjoying by Mira Sethi. And um, this is a debut work. Um, she is a Pakistani author and um, actress. She's actually on a Pakistani TV show. <laughs> Um, and she splits her time between Pakistan and San Francisco. Um, and so, now, wait a minute. Yeah, that's got to be quite a. Um, the flight. <laughs> and it's quite a different uh, cultural vibe, I would think. Yeah, it definitely is. Um, yeah. But um, I just thought I've, I'm trying to branch out and read things that. Um, will broaden my cultural horizons. And I don't know a lot about Pakistan other than it's kind of in India's shadow. It's it's right there next to India and primarily know, Muslim country. Yeah, yeah. Lots it of is. mountains. But but other than that, I don't I, and I don't know a lot about um, modern Pakistan and <laughs> the cultural of the people that live there and what it's like to be a young person living in Pakistan. And this is kind of all about that. Um, and so the stories range all over the place, um, and they're all fairly short. It's a, just a small little volume. Um, mm -hmm. I think there are seven stories total in it. Um, but you've got, um, you've got two friends. One is a lesbian, and one is a gay man who wants to be a fashion designer, and they end up marrying each other because they have to hide their sexuality and um mm -hmm. so they become each other's beards basically to you know exist exist in the world um there's one that is a young actress who is going to work on her first um tv show and i feel like that one may be a little bit autobiographical even if you know mm -hmm. she doesn't say that um so I will say I did find some of them a little uneven. There are a few that are just complete gems that kind of blew me away. There are some that I was less impressed by, but I, I thought it was good for um, giving you a feeling for what Pakistan is like and mm -hmm. Pakistan from the view of a young person. So what kind of television show is she in? I have no idea. Um, she's on a weekly show, but it, I don't know anything about the show. Okay. Yeah. I like in my head, I like to think it's like Grey's Anatomy. Mm, I was thinking <laughs> soap opera. Gossip Girl. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, but yeah, it was, um, like I said, it was uh, good for, for broadening one's perspective. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Yes. Well, Annie... Um, I just finished one that did not broaden my horizons at all. No. <laughs> was, you have your niche, niche? Niche. 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 You say niche, I say niche. It's one of those words that I've read my entire life but never really hear said out loud. And so you're like, I think this is how you pronounce it. Um, in the immortal words of Sean, I've heard it both ways. I've heard it both ways. <laughs> <laughs> um, I just finished Breathless by Jennifer Niven which is autobiographical. Mm -hmm. um, it is about her senior year of high school, about two weeks before graduation, her father sat her down and told her that he was leaving her and her mother. And her mom, she and her mom, uh, actually, then it moves into fiction, because in the book, they head down to Cumberland Island in Georgia, where the wild horses are. Uh, I think in real life, she ended up going to college and then later in life went to Cumberland Island. And But that is where she met her now husband. Um, and this is their love story. 
and it's beautiful and it's really cute. And the only reason I say it didn't broaden my horizons is because I too am a white girl who would like to fall in love and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but it was just one of those lovely novels that from the moment you open it, you're just like, this is wonderful and I'm so enjoying it. And you want to have just a lovely cup of herbal tea because it's not pushing you anywhere, but it's beautiful. Well, and she and her husband came and visited us at the bookshop um, during the pandemic. and They're like super in love. They are very cute (laughs) and they have huge crushes on each other. And he is very supportive of her and was just like her biggest cheerleader. It's very cute. Because she was going to be all incognito and just like (laughs) check out our bookstore. And he was like, my wife's an author. And we were like, oh, really? And he was like, yeah, have you heard of All the Bright Places? And I melted into a puddle because that's one of my favorite books. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was like, no. And he's like, yes. <laughs> so we got to meet her and have a lovely conversation. Yeah. She's awesome. Yes. Yeah, and she's now she great. follows us on Instagram. She yes. does. <laughs> and she likes our stuff. And if you look at her posts, you can sometimes see her e-shavers bag hanging in the oh. background. Mm-hmm. Which, oh my gosh, it's like, where's Waldo? But where's e-shaver? <laughs> I know. So, Very good. Very magical. good. All right, Jessica. Well, so I just finished reading a book that has been on my bedside table for quite a long time, and I've (laughs) wanted to read it, but things kept jumping in front of it that were necessary for me to read, and I happened to have some time this weekend, and I'm like, that's it. I'm reading this book. Um, It has... A very engaging cover. Yeah. Um, it's I mean, engaging if you're into birds. It Well, yes. I'm not into birds and it called to me. Yes, it's well done. It's Jackie. <laughs> birds and calling. And how to... Oh, <laughs> You guys. Okay. It's, um, it's Brood, a novel by Jackie... And how do we pronounce her last I'm name? I'm guessing it's Polzin. Polzin. Yes. <laughs> not so and much. And it comes out... It comes out in March. Um, and it is a book about, uh, we, Melissa and I saw her the last time we were out in the world at an actual event where people were. No, 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 no. They were talking about it, um, during SIBA. It was one of the big rep picks during SIBA that they were, they were talking a lot about that one. I'm sorry. Everything has started to run together. The last year is just, um, mush. (laughs) <laughs> yes. In the days before, before COVID. COVID. <laughs> All right. So this book I have wanted to pick up. It is a story about loss. Um, and it's a story about chickens. And it's a story about change. <laughs> now, how do all those things fit together, one may Indeed. ask? Well, um, so um, the, uh, the main character in the book and her husband live... Um, in, I believe, Minnesota, but it, it doesn't actually name a lot of towns in there. And they, um, he's a writer and a professor, and she is, um, cleans houses for a friend of hers, and she is struggling with the loss, uh, with a miscarriage. Mm-hmm. And so they decide to get chickens. Um, they have four chickens to start with. And this is sort of the story of her dealing and grappling with that loss, mm-hmm. um, the change that's happening in their life, and these chickens. So I read this book also, and it is it is one of your books, Jessica, where nothing really happens. Well, things happen. But I felt it was much more a 
journey through grief and mm-hmm. kind of her processing everything that's happened. Well, and there's some, for lovers of chickens and people yes. who know about chickens, there's some very happy parts of chicken ownership and some sad parts of chicken ownership. Well, and those who know nothing about chickens, such as I, it's very educational because I didn't understand how much goes into caring for chickens. And it's actually a very involved kind of thing. You have to commit to your chickens. They, like thoroughbred horses, are shockingly <laughs> delicate creatures. They're shocking. They can freeze. They can, they can do just, all they can kinds just turn of turn into a chicken popsicle. Well, you know you can freeze too, right? <laughs> I know, yes. but like I feel like it's a little like harder. I don't know. I'm from the south, <laughs> so you freeze easily. One time, one time I was in 20 degree weather and I thought I was gonna die. Right. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Well, that was just because you didn't have proper clothing. Yeah. Um, it's all about what you're wearing. Once I saw snow. Oh. One time. Well, these chickens saw a great deal they of snow. Saw a great deal of and, snow. And uh, very cold weather. And mm-hmm. they survived most of that. But there are so many other things that go wrong with them. Their diet is key. Uh, the, the things that try to eat, eat your chickens, other than, you know, other people. Um, <laughs> yeah. Although in this novel, people aren't really the problem. No, people are not the problem in this novel. <laughs> She's not, like, combating people in her backyard. Like, get away! No, it's not that kind of book. <laughs> it's not a chicken poaching novel. No. There's some really lovely moments in it. Mm-hmm. Um, her relationship with her mother, I love. And her mother in the book is a retired home act teacher who has decided that she will purchase nothing that she can make herself. And since she is, in fact, a retired home act teacher, she knows how to make most everything. So um, I really enjoyed her relationship with her husband. Yes. Um, and how oddly they complimented each other. They did. He seems like upbeat, slow, steady mm-hmm. kind of guy. Like she has a, a, a bit about how he can always sleep. And <laughs> she asks him, how does he do that? And he's like, I don't know. I just don't like to lie in bed awake. <laughs> well, neither do I, but that doesn't always work for me. <laughs> well, that was kind of her point. But, um, but for him, it does. And the house that they live in is kind of a character as well. She talks sort of lovingly about this house, but as she describes it, you think, that does not sound so great. Um, It's in a neighborhood which has become increasingly industrialized and kind of, um, not that it was ever a great neighborhood, but it had become less of a great neighborhood when they were in it. Um, The oil fields had picked up and there were trains going by pretty much at all hours of the day and night and um and yeah it was a neighborhood kind of in decline um but they loved this little house of theirs and they loved the chicken coop and um yeah I just it's it's a slim volume it's about 200 and I can tell you exactly because I've got it right here 222 pages that's a lovely place to end yes and um it's it really is a more meditative read. She also mm-hmm. does talk about sort of the different stages of grieving, sometimes expressed in her own words and things she's done, and sometimes expressed, I think, kind of through the chickens and her care for the chickens. And so, um, yeah, I, I would recommend it. I went into it wondering whether I was going to like it. And um, by the end of it, I found that I really did mm-hmm. have a new appreciation for it. Um, so, yes. Annie, anything to add to that? Um, 
I read it a couple weeks ago, so I'm trying to remember it. <laughs> <laughs> Not to put you on the spot yeah. or anything. Poor Gam Gam. <laughs> yes. There is a chicken. So the chickens are Darkness, Gloria, Gam Gam, and... Oh, the one there's at the bottom one. of the pecking order. No, that is Gam Gam. Gam. Um, there's another one, but... It's a middle child. Yes. Anyway. Um, oh, goodness. I don't think they have a list of chickens in the book, Annie. Cast of characters. Cast of characters. <laughs> there's, a, there's a beginning of a chapter where she goes into, like, these are my chickens. Mm-hmm. I'll find it. Anyway, um, we we... I think we can say we enjoyed it. It's it's not a book of car chases and fast action. Um, I I wouldn't have expected that from a, a book about chickens. I'm just yes. gonna throw that out there. <laughs> um, but it is it is heartfelt and meditative and um, and I think just a good read. All right. Well. Um, I was just wanting to read something fun. Um, so I picked up Malibu Rising, which is the new Taylor mm-hmm. Jenkins read book. And Tony, our, um, one of our Random House reps, had mentioned this when she was on the podcast, but I just wanted to talk about it a little bit more. Um, so you may know Taylor Jenkins read from Daisy Jones and the Six, which you have, if you haven't read that, you totally need to read that because it's we, an amazing we, book. Everyone in the bookstore universally. Yeah. Loved that book. Yeah. Um, so the so Daisy Jones and the Six was like set in the seventies and it was like rock and roll, mm-hmm. um, basically like VH1 behind the music with Fleetwood Mac and a lot of cocaine and bad life choices. Mm-hmm. Um, so Malibu Rising is set in nineteen eighty three in. Um, Malibu surf culture with mm-hmm. a lot of cocaine and some really bad life choices. Ah. Um, so um, it actually is, um, the story is told over a 24-hour period. So it starts at 7 o'clock in the morning and it goes to 7 o'clock the next morning. And it's split into two halves. The first part of the book is leading up to this party and mm-hmm. the second part of the book is what happens at the party and the aftermath of the party. Um, It connects to the seven husbands of Evelyn Hugo, which is one of her other books. Mm -hmm. So if you've read that one, there's a little, a little nugget in there where they connect together, but I won't ruin it. Um, So the main characters in it are four siblings and they are all surfers or, um, they all surf. One of them is a photographer who does surf photography. Um, and they have a party every year where basically if you know about the party, you're invited to the party. But if you don't know about the party, you're not invited to the party. But it's like everybody comes and they it's just out of control. So how do you find out about the party? You have to be cool and in the know. Ah. Yeah. So there are people that have been living in um, Malibu that that's like their goal is to be invited to this party or to know somebody who knows about this party so they can go. Um, But then they know about the party. Yes, but they don't know where the house is. Oh, it changes every year? No, no, it's the, it's at the, well, it's always been at the older sister's house, like, and... So you have to know where the house is and know where the people, you know, know how to get in. Okay. Um... But it, 
It goes back in time. Um, it flashes back and talks about um, the parents of the four kids and kind of their early relationship and what happens with them and why the siblings are so close. And um, I will say, mm-hmm. I really did enjoy it. And it's it's totally one of those books that the first two pages will hook you and just draw you completely into her world. And you will just sit there till you get to the end because you really want to know what happens because she, le- like she starts it with this little like, huh, how did you get there? Mm-hmm. And um, so, but I did not find it as compelling as Daisy Jones and the Six. Well, I'm looking forward to reading it because it, I'm, I'm after, so we have one book and we're passing yeah. it around. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm next in line, I think. Yeah, Caitlin's reading it right now. Um, I'd like to cue it behind you. Okay. <laughs> and I, I wonder if I might like it better just because I spent my, probably from about 10 until, you know, I'm 24 or so, surfing and sailing and in the ocean and for me the problem with it wasn't the surf culture stuff Mm -hmm. I feel like you don't get as good of a feel of the characters as you got in Daisy Jones and And from the way that that was told the way that narrative was constructed do you think it's because it is a 24-hour period I I think that is what it is Mm -hmm. I think it's because it's just set over this one day and it so do we think maybe she meant it to be that way because you can't really get to know anybody that well in a 24-hour period? I mean, it's it's possible. That mm-hmm. could be the whole point of it. Um, um, so if she were to come on our podcast... We could ask her that question and true. she could explain it to us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if you're listening, um, hey, you, um, you know, it, you can always email us. Just let us know. <laughs> Yes, we have we have questions. Yeah, and um, but overall, we love your work. So. Yeah, no, I mean, I it definitely is really a good book. It's an enjoyable read. Um, I I think people that like her previous books are really gonna like this one as well. Mm-hmm. It, it does have that same feel. Like, and I read it in a day. I mean, obviously, I hated every minute of it. <laughs> how, many, how many stars on Goodreads did you give it? I gave it four. Ooh. Yes. I yeah the the whole rating system is so hard for me because <laughs> if I actually get to the end of the book then it means I really was compelled to finish reading the book in most cases because I've stopped reading things yeah I because mean, I, I have to yeah it, if, but I can't some, give everything a five star no, review, no 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 so. and I don't think everything is a five star book and I think and the things that the way I rate things like when I'm rating a children's book, a five-star mm-hmm. book, it's five stars for like a children's book. Sometimes there are the really good like middle-grade mm-hmm. books that I think are just timeless and and they are just a five-star book, but they but they're the ratings are subjective to the genre that they're right. in too. Like, you know. Yes, I know. I just I have a hard time rating things. I I always I tend to go I, I tend to be an easier grader than I probably should be sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. You are. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, I no. It's a it's a fair criticism. I I um, yes. I I I I don't like to hurt people's feelings if I can help it. Well, no, but for me, it's just like most of the books that I read, I I'm like, hey, that you know what? That was pretty good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Then there are the books where I'm like, oh my god, that was amazing. I right. Yes. Yeah, that's 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 I've, what it so takes for a five for Jane me. Jane Austen always gets a five from Absolutely. me. Yes. 
Uh, Jane Austen doesn't always get a five for me. Mansfield and Northanger don't get a five. I'll give them fours, mm. but they're not fives for me. Oh, okay. Fair enough. No. Yes. Well, persuasion. Oh, persu- persuasion a is a six. six. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Annie, you're up. Oh, <clears throat> my third and final book. <laughs> um, so this one's a five for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I read A Bright Ray of Darkness, which is Ethan Hawke's new book. And background on Annie, Annie just finished her bachelor's degree in theater with an emphasis in performing arts and comedy. So um, when I say that this is the best narrative uh, or even expression of what it is to be an actor, I feel like that carries some weight. <laughs> if, I really, if I do say so myself, <laughs> um, but I've I've read many essays on acting as part of my education and then part of my own interest, and I've read several books where the main characters were actors and they talk about acting, and I've never really disliked any of them, but I was never like, oh yes, that hits the nail on the head, and um, I had to close this book several times because it just it was a visceral, oh my gosh, he gets it. <laughs> Um, and I mean, we already know that Ethan Hogg is an excellent writer, uh, and he, God, it's just really beautiful, but there is this, so the premise is that the main character is a movie actor who is starring in his first, it's not starring, he is a major role in his first Broadway play, and it is a production of Richard Henry, one of Shakespeare's, I think it's Henry the Fourth. Yes. Um, but at the same time, he is just arriving back from South Africa where it has splashed all over the world's headlines that he cheated on his wife and mother of his two children. And so he's arriving back to New York, confronting his wife for the first time and beginning this play that is going up within six weeks, which for those who are not actors, six weeks is no time at all. Especially to memorize Shakespeare. To memorize Shakespeare, <laughs> to memorize the blocking. And Henry the Fourth is a four-hour play. Mm. So six weeks of rehearsal is insane. Uh, but professional actors, that's what you do. So it is him working through why did he cheat on his wife, the fact that his wife is just leaving him. There's no discussion. She's gone. And his wife is actually a music superstar. So she's her own famous person with her own career. Um, him having to talk to his children and work through that with him. Uh, and then him grappling with, this is his first time doing a stage production. And there's this tension between television and stage acting, uh, where stage actors would say that you don't have to be a good actor to be on television because they can just edit you until you look right. Um, and television actors would say it takes a lot of skill to be able to do the same scene over and over and over again. Whereas in theater, you just move on. So, uh, he is in this world of transitioning from being a film actor to a stage actor and the juxtaposition of those challenges. And it's just incredible. It just grips you on every page. And it, he really pulls you into um, the mental strain of acting. And it's fantastic. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> I have read a few chapters out of Rules for Young Knight because that was like, it was on the best sellers when I first started working at the shop. I don't know if it was on the best sellers, but it was one of the ones that we had on the counter. Well, it's because it's just like a tiny little sized book. It, it was on the best sellers. It was on the best sellers. Okay. Um, I was surprised 
because I read it and I was like, oh, the kid from Dead Poet Society. <laughs> he could actually write. <laughs> right. Interesting. So when I saw this, I got really excited and was thrilled that it was amazing. Very good. So y'all should read it. <laughs> Very cool. And it comes out in February. <gasps> it comes out in February. Yes. <laughs> It's very exciting. Just around the corner. Very yeah. exciting. Well, a- am I up? Yeah. Okay. So um, this weekend, I also wanted to read a book that was just for fun and also is for our next Jane Austen book club where we read both Jane Austen and sort of Jane Austen, some more academic works and some more fan fiction type works. Yeah, so anything that's like by, about, inspired by, you know, mm-hmm. and it, it's an it's a, a wide open book club, but you know, anything that Jane Austen touches in any way is is, is fair game. Yes, and so this month, um, this month, February for, for February, yeah, for February, we're doing Austen Land by Shannon Hale, and I went ahead and read this. Now, of course, I'd seen the movie before. Um, so I was curious to see how the book and the movie differed. And I would say that they're fairly close together. There's some, um, in the beginning and the end, there's some differences. Um, but there's a lot that's the same in the middle. And um, it was just a fun read. It is, um, if you're a Jane Austen fan and you need a little break from life and reality and you want to read about somebody wearing corsets for the first time and um, living in a weird sort of Jane Austen-inspired three-week vacation. It's almost like a <laughs> if you were going to like a mini Jane Austen theme park. <laughs> kind of, except without obviously any rides because... Well, you know. but it's, it's basically mm-hmm. an immersion sort of vacation where you go and live a a regency sort of life and you dress up in period costumes and they do meals and you're living Mm -hmm. on in this great manor house and and you have a maid that helps you get dressed and you're not allowed to have any of your modern devices with you and um the only concessions they make is they they do have actual restroom facilities yes um but everything else is fairly um fairly like you would be living in that time period. And um, and so I think it's an adjustment for the main character when she realizes what it's really like to live in this time period. And then there's the tricky part of the men that are involved in this are all hired actors. And so it's kind of a dangerous game to play if you're not equipped for it. Yes. Um, uh, yeah, yes. So, like, if you're ultra-wealthy and married and going on a fun vacation to get away from everything and live out this fantasy, it's fine. But if you're a 30-year-old who has never married and is kind of staring spinsterhood in the eye, um, Which this might I, be a I, trickier... I, 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 Being 30 and unmarried... Today is not staring spinsterhood in the face. Let's just be clear. Well, but but in her mind in the book, she is trying to get over her Jane Austen obsession and move on 
to the rest of her life, which she envisions as her being alone. So, um, you know, I, she jokes about it. But, yeah, I mean, of course there's no shame in being 30 and unmarried in today's <laughs> world. In fact, sometimes it's a quite desirable state. <laughs> Indubitably. But, um, but it, is, uh, it is based on the works of Jane Austen. And yeah. so, um, so it is, it's, it's a lot of fun. I thoroughly enjoyed it. So, yeah, I uh, read it when it first came out before the movie came out. So it's been... Several years at this point. A while. A while. Um, I just remember it just being fun. I mean, you know, yeah, it's it really is. It's just a lot of fun. Yeah, it's just an escapist fun time. It is, um, and it's an interesting idea too. Mm-hmm. I I don't know whether these places actually exist. We'll have to do a little more research. Management retreat. Interesting. Team building exercise. <laughs> We all can survive a week in a corset. We can survive anything. I can do needlepoint. I'm terrible at needlepoint. Oh, I can crochet and I can do needlepoint. It's a chance for you to improve yourself. Yes, dear. I can draw. Well, that see, that's all you need. I can draw and cover screens, and I know not what else. (laughs) All young ladies today are so So accomplished. accomplished. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> yes. Oh, this is uh, Lucy, my my dog. Um, Lucy's like, I can do needlepoint. Voicing her displeasure. Oh, oh goodness. No, no talking, Lucy. We're recording. The saddest puppy. Um, so this next one I'm actually listening to on Libro FM, and I have about 25 to 30 minutes left on it. I'm mm. like tantalizingly close <laughs> to being done. And this is um, a book that I would normally not pick up to read. This is something that Jessica would pick up to read. Mm-hmm. In fact, like I started listening to it, and I was like, "Oh, this is a Jessica book." So, um, and um, so I'm, I'm so totally going to listen to it on my big drive that's coming up. Yeah. So. so it's called "Before the Coffee Gets Cold," and it's by Tasha Kazu Kawaguchi. Um, it's so it's translated from Japanese. Mm-hmm. Um, it is chock full of magical realism um it's very murakami-esque so Mm -hmm. you know um but it is about this cafe this kind of unassuming cafe that's in the basement of a building that doesn't have any windows and they have like three tables and then like a counter and there's never usually that many people in there um and one of their tables, one of the chairs, can take you into the past. But there are very specific rules with this. So they come out and they give you a cup of coffee, and you have to be sitting in this one chair. Mm-hmm. You can't leave the chair when you go into the past. Um, and nothing you do in the past will change the present. And you only have as long in the past as it takes for the cup of coffee to get cold. So you have to finish drinking the coffee before the coffee gets cold. And you take the coffee with you? Yeah, so the coffee comes with you. Can you alter your own life? Like, can you go warn yourself not to do something or you, to do something? You can, but it doesn't change what happens in the present. Nothing, nothing you do in the past changes so the present. It's very much so that concept 
would, I would give anything for five more minutes with. Yeah, yeah. So it's split into almost kind of these little, um, they're almost little short stories. Mm -hmm. There's like three of them. Um, and it each talks about how a different person has used this device to go back in time and, and why they would do it. Okay. Knowing that they can't change the, the, the present. Future. Yes. Interesting. And so do you have to be specific about, like, do you have to say, I want to go back to March 2nd, 1975 so at 2 o'clock in the afternoon? It doesn't have to be that specific. So mm -hmm. basically the instruction that you're given is to picture very clearly in your mind where when you want to go back to. So like one of the stories um, is a woman whose husband is um, has early onset Alzheimer's and he's gotten to the point where he doesn't remember her. Mm -hmm. And she wants to go back um, for a specific reason to a day that he remembered who she was, that he was at the cafe and that, um, he had something on him when he was at the cafe. Like there was three specific conditions. So she didn't have a specific date in mind, but she needed those three things to be true. So they have to stay in the cafe. Like they can go to a new location. No, they have to stay on that seat. Like they okay, cannot. The chair can go to Versailles. Nope. 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 They're in the cafe. Okay. So really, like they can go to a different day in the past, but they're on that chair in that same cafe. Okay, so you couldn't, as a tourist, go there and do anything that had to do with your life unless you'd been staying in that area for... Right, you, you, would, you could go back to a day in your past, but you would be in that cafe. Okay, in then, that chair. In that chair. Okay. You wouldn't... It actually makes the storylines that you're witnessing much more compelling because why have they been in that cafe before? Yes, exactly. Okay. It's, it makes it cozier. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. That makes more sense. Yeah. Yes. Who solves the problems with time travel? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's very specific time travel. Yeah, yeah, it is very specific time travel. Um, and it really is just a, um, even though you can't mm -hmm. go back and change things to like things that you have regrets about or what, like you can't make the outcome any different, there's still something to be said for going and having a chance to kind of do something over, even if you're not going to get a different outcome out of it. Right. Mm -hmm. Just for kind of like the peace of mind, I think. Mm -hmm. But it's, um, it, you can tell it's translated because there's a couple of weird, like turns of phrase where it's like, no, not, not, that's not, that's not, not quite right. Yes. <laughs> um, but it is very, um, it is very cozy. It is very like kind of, um, like it's feel good, even though there's some sad stuff in it. So. Very good. Yeah, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I really am. Sounds amazing. Yeah. Well, we have a book now that all three of us have read mm -hmm. um, by one of our favorite people who come in, comes in the store. Yes. Lives in Savannah, Patricia Lockwood, mm -hmm. and she's got a new book coming out in February, and it's called No One Is Talking About This. <laughs> there was an excerpt of it in um, the New Yorker uh, about a month ago. Mm -hmm. um, and so we got, they didn't do a lot of ARCs of it. So we got more of a bound um, manuscript. 
manuscript. Well, uh, it was it, what actually was, was a finished arc, but they just didn't print them. So they they printed one specifically for us, and it was just bound like they would do a bound manuscript. So mm-hmm. it actually was a fairly finished, finished polished mm-hmm. version mm-hmm. of the book. Um, we just didn't get any fun cover art. No, no, um, because you know they're just not doing as many mm-hmm. things like that. But. Um, I really enjoyed it, um, and I found parts of it extremely sad and very compelling. Um, but I had had some conversations with Patricia about some of the instances in the book. And so um, I don't know whether that influenced me at all in my reading of it. It's, a, it's an unusual book. It's yeah. a different literary device. It is written sort of as you would write tweets almost. It's written in thoughts. But she, she begins it basically posting thoughts mm-hmm. in the book, and they kind of expand as her world and things happen and shift, and she begins to write in longer phrases. I, I did not enjoy the book when I was mm-hmm. reading it, I have come to appreciate it more the longer I've gotten to think about it. Mm-hmm. And the longer I've been away from it and these th- these connections I'm making where I'm like, oh, I see what she did there. And so it's almost like an aftertaste where I'm just like, this aftertaste is amazing. <laughs> well, it's it. I, I, I think that is one of the hallmarks of a, a book, a good book. Mm-hmm. That It's definitely the hallmark of a book. Hallmark of a book. It's a hallmark of a good book when it's a book that as you're reading it, you may not think you're getting as much out of it, mm-hmm. but as time goes on, you continue to go back to it in your mind. For me, it it wasn't necessarily... Ha- like, the, the way it was written was not my favorite device. Um, and I think that the two... Because sec- it's split into two parts. Mm-hmm. The first part has a very different feel from the second part Absolutely. of it. Yes. Um, and I, I think you put it actually perfectly that as her world starts to expand, because she's very in the portal um, Mm -hmm. in the first part of it and her world starts to expand and she starts to be more outside of the portal in the second part and as such the the snippets kind of expand and become larger and um, but for me it was hard to separate the character in the book from Patricia knowing Mm -hmm. her and and knowing Mm -hmm. some of the um, influences for this book and where they came from it almost for me was more like creative nonfiction than a novel. It's it's true. And so I will say to the reader who it's a very literary novel. Um, and I I would say Patricia is a very literary writer um, mm-hmm. and a poet. And so um, if you if you don't know her or if you've read Priestaddy and then you're reading this, first of all, it's something completely different. It from, is very different, different from, from Priestaddy. But if you've read her poetry, it will make more sense. And or if you know her from her tweets, she yes. is very um, active and very well known on Twitter. Twitter famous. Yeah, she yes. is very Twitter famous. In fact, she did in the in the book the character goes and gives a talk at a museum about like the portal and like thoughts on the portal and stuff. Patricia actually went and did that talk at the British museum. Um, yes. So that is an actual thing. (laughs) So because we know her, um, we have, I think we have a different view of the book. Mm -hmm. 
um, which makes it trickier reading it. Um, and Annie and I talked a lot about the first half of the book and the separation from the second half of the book. And I almost would say that the second half of the book spoke to me more. But as we were saying, I don't think that the first half of... I I, I don't think you could appreciate the second half of the book if the first half of the book wasn't... Well, the first half of the book introduces a character whose entire life is Twitter. And so even her thoughts and reactions move as quickly as you Mm -hmm. scroll through Twitter. Um, And so watching this... Uh, event happened to her family and her reacting to it and having she can't just scroll past it she actually has to work through what is happening to her um i think the second half of the book would be interesting but i think because of the first half of the book it impacts you and it actually makes you stop and sit with this character as she works through what has happened mm-hmm. and um we don't want to give too much away no, so we're but we're sneaky but the first half of the book is about her twitter life basically and her life and what she calls the portal Mm-hmm. And how she is living this weirdly online life while kind of having a life outside of that. Well, and being very, very famous to mm-hmm. a very niche yes. audience. audience. Mm-hmm. So, um, and then the second part. A family tragedy. Is about a family tragedy. Um, and uh, that involves her sister. And it's... Um, that's just heart wrenching. Mm-hmm. It really is. Um, and some of her, I, I would say, maybe because of her poetry, her turn of phrase in that really um, just was, you know, made me cry. I mean, I wept mm-hmm. when I read parts of this book. Um, but, but it was, it was. Um, I, I would read it again. I mean, it's not something that made me so sad that I wouldn't read the book again. I don't. That's not explaining it well. Um, <laughs> sorry. I'd say it impacted you. It impacted me, yes. And um, and I appreciate books that make me that move me like that. Yes, absolutely. So, uh, so the only other thing that I have, um, I just started uh, "Leave the World Behind," mm-hmm. um, which is by Ruman Alam, um, and I I picked this up because it has been on and off the Indies bestseller list. Mm -hmm. And I didn't really know much about it. Um, Jessica said she had listened to him do an interview on NPR, so she kind of had an idea of what the book was about. Um, So it is about this couple who, um, Amanda and Clay, who take their teenage son and daughter on vacation to the Mm -hmm. Hamptons, basically, and they rent this Airbnb. And so they're running this house, and they've been there a day, maybe. I think it's the second day that they're there, Mm -hmm. and um, they're just getting ready to go to bed, and someone knocks on the door, and they heard, like, they had heard people talking outside, and someone knocks on the door. And the the house is kind of in the middle of nowhere, like, so it's not in, like, a neighborhood, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, And so they open the door, and it is a black couple and they say that they're the owners of the house and that something has happened in the city, that there's been this huge blackout on the East Coast, and they didn't think it was safe for them to stay there and that they wanted to come and stay in their house. And 
So, but they don't kick the other people out, do they? They um, no, they want to stay there with them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's as far as I've gotten. Um, but the only contact that the people renting the house have had has been over email. So they don't know who these who the actual owners are of the mm-hmm. house. So they don't know if these people are in fact the owners of the house. Um, so there's there's tension. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. It's something that has been on my list to read um, because I really enjoyed the the interview with the author mm-hmm. that I that I heard. But um, again, it's um, it's it's fallen down on my stack, but I will have to pick <laughs> it up again at some point. I counted my stack recently. Oh, I know. Mm-hmm. My bed. It's 200 books. Oh, Annie. That's a big stack. The carriage house is going to collapse. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. Well, yes. On that note. (laughs) Yes. Um, We'll all uh, get off here and go work on our stacks. Yes. (laughs) Yes. So I made a wonderful discovery. Mm -hmm. I found that there is an audio book read by many people of the new George Saunders book on writing which I was reading, but now I have started listening to. I highly recommend listening to it. A Swim in the Pond in the Rain. But um, So he reads the teacherly part of it, and then other people read the stories. And you go through one, two, possibly two pages at a time, and you just talk about the construct of the story. So far, I am really enjoying listening to it. Um, it's not a quick listen, and I can't turn it up to, you know, double speed and get anything out of it. So it'll take me a while, and I'll probably go back and forward, back and forth to it while I'm, I'm reading and listening to other things. But um, I appreciate it, and um, it, it really does tear down the structure of a story and why certain things are important in moving action forward, especially in a short story. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah, I, I would recommend it for aspiring writers with a lot of patience. George <laughs> Saunders, A Swim in a Pond in the Rain. Um, and I would recommend listening to it. I think that it's a better format for this. It's almost cool. like being in the classroom with him. All right, well, that is all we have this week. So we will be back in two weeks again. Um, and I don't think we have any guests in two weeks. We have our Norton rep coming on at the end of February to talk about their list. Um, yes. But um, in the meantime, everyone, be well. Be well. Stay safe. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Bye.